I'm going to be interviewing a couple of people from Open Doors, a charity which supports the persecuted church across the world. For most of us here in the UK, well, we have really incredible freedom to practice our faith. We're able to gather for services like this one. We're able to actually live stream across the whole world if anyone cares to listen or tune in. We have total freedom. We can be totally open about our faith and uh, that we are Christians, we are totally free to share our faith with others. But we're also aware that across the world, others within the Christian faith are not so fortunate. Millions of our Christian brothers and sisters in more than 70 countries suffer persecution, discrimination, imprisonment, even death for following Jesus. We have the privilege of welcoming people who fled countries elsewhere as part of our church family. And we're thrilled to have as part of the church quite a large group from Iran who have left their country for a variety of reasons. And uh, there are a bunch of them sitting back there. And uh, as we have today, we are able to some weeks provide simultaneous Farsi translations. So that's going on from the little booth at the back uh, even right now. On Wednesday this week, Open Doors published the World Watch List, which ranks the 50 countries where Christians face the most extreme persecution. You can access that on Open Doors' website on the persecution link there. And it's not not just a ranking of countries, but you can also read a little bit about what it's like to be a Christian in some of those countries. That list includes stories and experiences from individuals about how they're continuing to follow Jesus despite considerable personal risk to themselves. Like Gideon, that's not his real name, a pastor from Eritrea who was imprisoned for over six years. And he and other Christians survived on just four slices of bread a day, were beaten, were interrogated, were pressurized to deny their faith. And he held out, he was eventually released And despite being threatened with death, he continued to serve the Lord and share the gospel with others. And he said this, It is hard to meet a Christian who has not been imprisoned. What makes us happy is that more than ever, the gospel is still spreading. The church is fulfilling its mission. The persecution didn't cause the church to lose its power. The church will not be closed. The light of the church is shining. Or you can read about Edward from Syria where... Christians are targeted by militants, losing their jobs, their homes, even their lives. And many had to flee, some including Pastor Edward decided to stay, despite the opposition, despite the risk, and serve the church and the community by distributing emergency food and medicine. And he said this, it's very important and meaningful for us as Middle Eastern people to see the church stay to do the work of Christ here, like a light in the darkness. We brought love and care to the people in need in the name of Christ. We are the ambassadors of Christ in the country. And these stories of faithfulness and perseverance are so inspiring. They're so challenging to us here in the West, within our relatively consumerist, oh, which church do I fancy going to? Does it have the worship I like? Does it sort of feed me? Does it have programs that are really going to help me and my children? All that sort of thing. It's really challenging, and what you're about to hear is going to challenge you even more. So I'm delighted to welcome two folks. I'll introduce them in a little bit. Uh, Mushtaba being one of them who's originally from Iran. And they're going to share a little bit of their story and the experience of the persecuted church. So as they come up, we're going to watch this short video, really an overview of the context 
for Christians around the world. What would you dare to do for Jesus? Would you defy dictators, worship in secret, sacrifice your safety? Over 360 million Christians around the world face persecution and discrimination every day. And these are the top 10 countries where Christians risk everything for Christ. Number 10, Sudan. Unrest in Sudan has increased following a military coup. Violence and pressure against Christians have worsened. who have not fled the country have been forced deep underground. If discovered, they face death. Iran is at number eight. Iranian house churches are seen as a threat by the Islamist regime. Church members who are caught are given long prison sentences. Number seven, Pakistan. Pakistan's infamous blasphemy laws are often used to target believers. Christian women and girls are vulnerable to kidnap and forced marriage. Nigeria is at number six. More Christians are killed in Nigeria than in all the other countries of the world combined. And the violence is getting worse. Number five, Libya. In this lawless land, both native and migrant Christians are targeted, kidnapped, and even killed. At number four is Eritrea. Christians who dare to meet without official permission risk arrest. Over a thousand believers are in jail without charge. Yemen is number three on the list. The humanitarian crisis continues. Anyone suspected of being a Christian will be deliberately overlooked for aid and might be expelled or killed by their own tribe. Number two is Somalia. Islamic militants are intensifying their hunt for Christians and violent attacks are increasing. And at number one, North Korea, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Spies are everywhere. Discovery means death, either by execution or by being worked to death in a labour camp. Despite the danger, in all these countries, the church is not defeated. It is living, powerful, defiant. And for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with this church. Christians risk persecution, our underground networks support millions of believers with emergency food and aid, spiritual care, smuggled Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. And where Christians enjoy freedom, we work with local churches to raise prayer and support and to speak truth to those in power. Today, around the world, Christians risk everything to follow Christ. Will you dare to stand with them?
So, Mushtaba, we're delighted that you're with us. Thank you. Mushtaba is originally from Iran, and we'll be hearing your story in a moment. But, Sam, we've known each other for decades, and uh, you've been working for Open Doors for a while. Can you tell us about what you do? Absolutely. Um, firstly, thank you for having us here this morning. And it's, it's very easy that we relate to Persecute Church as a theme, but actually it's our family. And that's a really important distinctive to be clear that we're not advocating for something that's out there. It's about who we are as a family of God. Um, as you heard on, on the film, the persecuted church represents about one-seventh of the global church. So just to give you some visualisation of that, this whole section here, if you imagine this section here, represents the persecuted church this morning. Imagine next Sunday morning, everybody in this section um, having lost their lives in the last week. There's a church um, in, uh, I'm not going to mention the country, but in the last year that this size of congregation in one morning was wiped out, executed, as they gathered on a Sunday morning to be church. And that's a hard story, but it also brings reality to this is what it is in certain countries to have faith. And really the, the ministry of Open Doors began with a, a young man back in 1955 who had been broken by war but been restored through his encounter with Jesus, uh, wrestling with what should he do with his life and really feeling God calling him to strengthen what remains, the church that was undergoing the most extreme persecution. So really from that personal call has developed this um, ministry over the last 65 plus years. And Brother Andrew actually died um, in the autumn just gone and left an incredible legacy of faithfulness to stand with and strengthen uh, the most isolated and intimidated Christians. And really, as a ministry, we try and continue that call, that ministry, standing with the local church around the world in order to, to strengthen the church, to be the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in whatever context they're in. And that includes um, speaking to those in power, like the launch in Parliament, but also being in churches like this and raising awareness to raise prayer, to raise support um, and also is supposed to equip our view of the world to maybe live in a more purposeful way recognizing um, how much is at stake it's really challenging we can so easily just be in our little bubble our little world and forget about the rest of the world but just talk a little bit more about the importance of our engagement with this yeah, I mean, I think as I, as I read the New Testament, and it was, uh, you know, New Testament captures the story, really, of, of the first church, you know, established by Jesus. And Jesus prays in John 17, he prays that the church would be one, that it be one body under, under the, the headship of, 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 of the Father in heaven. And, uh, and that through that oneness that we are um, bringing glory to the Father, but also, um, you know, causing people to see the good news. And it's a theme that's recurrent through the New Testament that they are one body, one church um, under the leadership and lordship of Christ. And I suppose our desire is to um, represent that spirit of the New Testament church as Jesus saw it, to be one, to be held together. And there's also a very strong imperative in the New Testament about um, out of that oneness, really expressing that in practical terms, standing with one another, strengthening one another, contributing to those who are persecuted. In Philippians, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, as somebody who has, is being persecuted and is in prison, and he encourages them about their partnership in the gospel and encourages them that they are participants in grace, which is just such a beautiful phrase, participants in grace. He says, you are participants in grace both in your 
your um, strengthening of me in my imprisonment, but also in the confirmation of the gospel. And I think really that's what we're trying to embody is how do we participate in the grace of the purposes of God across the earth, strengthening those who are in the midst of persecution. But ultimately this is about the gospel. This is about the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. So we really want to kind of hold that ground really. Thank you. So Mushtaba, we're looking forward to hearing your story. Can you tell us how you came to faith? Yes. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, hello everyone. I might uh, say hi in Farsi to my brothers and sisters, Iranian. Salam arshut, paradarai gul, khaharai gul. Khoshalam ke injasam. Yes, so, um, yeah, as you said, I'm from Iran. I grew up um, uh, as a nominal Muslim in a country that is ruled by the Islamic government. It, um, kind of a dictatorship government that there is no freedom of speech or uh, freedom of religion. And um, so, yeah, um, when I was around 12, maybe, uh, till uh, when I was 18, uh, my family situation was a... Uh, we had a, so much uh, kind of problems and conflicts in the house. First of all, my dad lost uh, loss of money um, because, you know, generally in Iran, loss of business, uh, business um, like went, um, um, became terrible because of the sanctions and everything. And it caused lots of um, kind of difficulties in my house. And also my brother, uh, who is uh, older uh, than me, he, he was struggling with depression, drugs, and he was staying at home most of the time. And uh, he, at one point, he became really violent, constantly making lots of conflicts and fights. And especially me, he was really treating me in a terrible way. Uh, and it caused me to become really bitter towards him and angry towards him. And I was really young. I couldn't really express my anger and my uh, kind of fighting back and uh, it made me to spend most of the time out of the house and just choose negative friends and doing lots of negative activities and and because I was really bitter and angry I I was negative towards everything and also because uh, I couldn't receive anything from my like original religion Islam I, I was feeling disappointed in God as well. At one point, I didn't believe that God cares about me at all because I saw myself as a sinner, that God never ever, um, because he's holy and he's uh, up there in his, uh, heaven, he, he won't really care about someone like me. And I felt really uh, like depressed, meaningless and empty uh, that I was just keep questioning everything. And one night I remember in my bed, I prayed to God for the first time in my own words, uh, not like the Islamic prayers in Arabic or something. I just said, God, I don't know who you are or what you are. And I don't care about your religions, prophets, holy people. Uh, I am broken. I just need you to save me if you are there. And a few days later, um, something happened to my brother, uh, and he was completely a different person. And then I realized he um, 
later on, I realized that one of his friends uh, who was converted to Christianity spoke to him and he prayed with his friend and literally he was completely changed. He was really kind, really calm, always had a smile on his face and I, it was really a strange experience for me. And so he was watching some videos about Christianity, which the title of the video was God is Love. And that title for me was really radical, God is Love. And, you know, it, it was a challenge for me to, un, to accept that, that God is Love, because I, I am sinner and I know I am very, uh, I'm no one really, I, I don't think that God will love me. Anyway, I watched the video and two pastors were sharing the gospel, that how God loves us and how he um, forgives us through the um, um, kind of sacrifice of Jesus. And he has this power to give us a new life. And I was struggling with my bad habits and I wasn't happy with my lifestyle at all. And everything the pastor says, said, it was really for me. And like it was something in me was saying that this one can save you. And because a few like days ago, I prayed that please God save me. The word salvation also became really highlight for me. And anyway, I prayed with the pastor at the end of the video. And right after the prayer, I just felt completely different. I felt a peace, inner peace that I never experienced that before. And after one week, I realized I can't be with my friends anymore. I, I don't have any desire to all my bad habits. And I was just wanted to read the Bible, which my brother had a book from his friend. And I was constantly reading the Bible and I couldn't understand a word from it, but I just wanted to read it. And I just, I just wanted to spend time with myself. And, and me and my brother uh, just started praying together, uh, singing uh, worship songs together. And, and then my dad came and became Christian and my sister, one of my sisters. And, and it was just amazing how God changed the whole thing, that conflict and fighting, now sitting together, praying in love. And that's, that's the work of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So you're coming to faith. That's not allowed in Iran. So what happened? Um, so we, we were really uh, wanted to find out more about our faith. And there was a like an official building church in the city, which was built by um, Anglicans before the revolution, uh, before 1979. And we went there. That was the only place we knew this is church and we should go there. And we there knocked the door. Someone opened the door and we said, hello, we are Christians. We recently became Christians. Can we come in? And uh, like, can you talk to us about the whole thing? And the guy wasn't as happy as we were. <laughs> and uh, so he said, uh, I'm sorry, we, we are banned to have you in. Uh, you have to leave uh, soon because there was a camera at the door um, and and he said it's not safe for you it's better to leave so th at that time we realized that uh, it is something serious and um, but anyway we prayed a lot it's a longer story how we found uh, a couple of families uh, in such a miraculous way which was absolutely God's guidance and provision and we started to see each other regularly and each one of us had like 
amazing stories and we just felt right in the first meeting we just felt like we are family and we are we were really bonded and we um kind of for me it was a very weird feeling it was just like i knew them for for the whole of my life and anyway we just yeah started to see each other and uh praying together talking about the uh bible together and spending most of the time t- uh, with each other yeah and then there was a knock on the door one day yeah after so two years after my conversion when i was 20 years old and having uh, one year that uh, those regular meetings um it was one of the mornings early in the morning there was a knock on the door and i opened the door which was really surprising because no one uh, really come to your door very early in the morning it was like seven o'clock in the morning and I opened the door and there was like 10 officers standing in front of the door and um, the person said, the first person said, um, by the order of the court, we have to research your house. And they pushed me in the house and uh, uh, came into the house and started to search everything about uh, like Christianity. And it was really, really shocking uh, having them in my house and you don't have any power to stop them or, I don't know, there is no like a law that you can rely on it to kind of protect yourself or go to someone and say, wait a minute, I need to see your paper or whatever. But it wasn't like that. And uh, when your house being raided easily like this, you, that you, you even don't have the security in your own house, you're not safe in your own house, it's very, I don't know, the difficult emotions that... So where is the safe place for me? Where should I go? Um, anyway, my family, they were sleeping uh, and it was really shocking for my family suddenly wake up by um, like these guys shouting. And anyway, on that day, they put handcuffs on me, my dad, my brother and my sister, put us in separate cars, blindfolded us and took us to um, like the detention uh, center of the inter- uh, intelligence service and they kept me there for 22 days in solitary confinement uh, which was one of the toughest experience in my life it was really shocking for me I never had any problem with anyone in my neighborhood or police and now I ended up in solitary confinement in such a security way at one point I was just like I'm watching a film or something. I couldn't believe that. Is that really happening? Yeah. You continued with your faith in solitary confinement. Then what happened after the solitary? Were you then in another prison? So um, after 22 days, they sent me to court. Uh, They released me by bail, which was $20,000 at that time. And I realized I'm so expensive, <laughs> I'm so valuable, <laughs> $22,000, uh, it was, yeah, um, anyway, uh, so they gave me eight months prison sentence, me and two other people, suspended. suspended sentence, and they told us if you continue your activities within the next five uh, years, we will enforce this sentence and give you a new sentence as well, which will be heavier sentence. and. Yes, yeah, so one year to, that court process took and uh, we would see each other before the court sessions and because there was lots of court sessions and we were like praying, worshipping behind the doors 
and the so it was a few of us that had to um we we had to when we were going uh, to um court it actually became a part of our fellowship because that was the time we could see each other mostly but we started to see each other in public places like parks or in cars and and also many people it became obvious to many people friends and relatives that we are christians now and some of them they knew some people who were new believers they introduced them to us or some of them they they were christian they never told anyone and so we started to continue our, and people were adding to us at one point we had to go in houses again which was really um, kind of risky i was really scared of prison i was really young i was um i mean before yeah as we we continue i was 20 something and i was really terrified by prison but one of my friends who was like um, he he was 40 something at that time and he he was one of the leaders and he had two children and wife and he was addicted to drugs for 30 years and nothing could save him really he tried hard but only with one single prayer with the same video i watched he was completely set free from drugs and he just gave his whole his life to jesus and as we were and most of the time we would see each other in his house and he has started to invite people to his house and i said oh are you sure you want to do this we are eight months prison and they give us a new sentence and he told me that um can you live without serving god and i said not really but we can do something else but he said look i don't have any fear of prison because i was already dead in drugs and it doesn't matter for me to die in prison with jesus i was dead anyway and i and i said how about your children and he said the one who saves me in this way by from the rocks he has this power to uh, save my family and protect my family <laughs> and his faith really encouraged me and i say okay if you want to continue i can't just sit back and watch you and you go to prison and i be free and i feel absolutely guilty we were together in good days and we should together in be together in bad days as well difficult days as well so on that day we made a conscious decision that we're going to continue no matter the risk and the troubles uh, that it will have for us so we continued we our number increased from 20 people to 150-200 people and we had lots of like different meetings and one night when we were worshiping uh in one of the houses i was 24 at that time and again there was a knock on the door and we were kind of always expecting that any time that there was a knock on the door a mobile phone like uh like uh, would ring we we just expected oh maybe it's the intention service but that night it was actually happened it was like 30 officers again they raided into a house in such an aggressive way 
kids, they were, we had lots of kids in the house and they encountered like this, um, the officers and it was really shocking for them. Kids were crying, women, they, they were crying. But I was sitting there and I just said, here we go, they came, finally it happened. And yeah, so that night also they, uh, the same way they uh, handcuffs, blindfold and uh, sort of taken confinement over a month, heavy interrogations. And it was such a dark and tough times, yeah. And you in with the, the popular, uh, the prison was way overcrowded, 8,000 people. So after the, yeah, after the uh, Sultan confinement, they sent us to um, the public prison. It was really big prison with 8,000 prisoners in it. And it was, yeah, as you mentioned, it's overcrowded prison because the capacity was uh, maximum for 3,000 people. And literally it was packed with people. And uh, it was even difficult to walk in the corridor, some of the parts that we were. And it was really crowded, very um, dirty and very violent, lots of problems and not enough facilities. The food was horrible. And yeah, we spent three years in that prison. And while you were there, did you just keep really quiet about your faith? Uh, it was kind of impossible um, because Prisoners, they are really curious when they, someone new come to prison. They ask your name, where are you from, and what is your story, what's your crime sentence, and you should answer all these questions. And we couldn't like lie for the three years. So we say, yeah, we are Christians. We with our stories, we were worshiping God, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were arrested by intelligence service. And they said, what? You were worshiping God and that you are here. Say yes. And he said, no, we're not going to believe this. <laughs> is, is that a new crime? I said, yes, yeah, apparently. If you worship God in a different way, uh, you will end up here. And so we, some of them, they were really curious. Like this guy was head of a gang and he was um, sentenced to execution. And he asked lots of questions about uh, our lives and our faith, and we shared with him. And finally, he gave his heart to Jesus. And his, this man completely changed, and he was just like an innocent baby. And he was praying in a, such an amazing way. I, I was just shocked, like surprised and shocked how God was working in this guy and being a witness of this happening. And it was just a very uh, amazing experience. He wasn't the only one coming to faith while you were... Yeah, there was more people came to Christ during that three years. Some of them, they came out still, uh, they were in touch. And I know a couple of them after some of them went to Turkey, even leading some small groups. Yeah. Wow. So the experience of being in prison um, was evidently quite terrible, but you were aware, were you, of other people supportive of you outside, praying for you perhaps? Yes, um, so I was in touch with, um, uh, maybe I can't mention it uh, here, but they would- on the internet, right? <laughs> yeah, they would um, tell me that like that church in Netherlands or that church, they're, they're praying for you. And, uh, and it was, very special for me, you know, that um, that 
you are a part of something. You are a part of family. It's not only you here. And there is a purpose behind this. It's, it's something that we're sharing together a faith. Some of us, like in prison, like in fr front line of prison, we're fighting even physically being in danger and express God's love and God's grace and God's power and the importance of what he's, he's given us by giving our comfort, by giving our family, by giving our... Uh, by accepting the danger and the risks. And some here in free countries uh, just in different way express God's grace and God's love. And, and the purpose is just uh, the salvation of souls. And we all have a mission. It's a common mission that we all sharing together. And it's about ex displaying God's love and grace to the world. And, uh, and brothers and sisters in persecution, they just encourage us that this is, this is a real thing. This is a serious thing because we're not crazy people. We haven't lost our mind to forget about our families, forget about our countries. Uh, and it's kind of, it's a gift really. It's a calling in persecution church that God give us that uh, encouraged that whole of us to focus on the importance of eternal life and yeah. share it with others. You've been in the UK now for a couple of years. How has that affected your faith and anything else you'd like to say about that? Um, so, I mean, coming to uh, another country, it has its own difficulties, learning new language, new culture, uh, new way of food <laughs> having <laughs> um, but that was a joke I love English food <laughs> I love I love potato and carrots and <laughs> but my 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 favorite uh, food is roast pork actually the full one with everything in it uh, but anyway yeah, it, it has its own difficulty, especially being away from family and not be able to see them. Uh, so, but I've been encouraged by many brothers and sisters who really kind of uh, understand you and love you. Um, but yeah, being a part of a wider family, meeting the family of God in different places is very nice experience. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes it's challenging because uh, the experience I had in Iran was very different, you know, in house church in a very, such a small setting. Uh, we were really close uh, to, with each other. We were, we were doing life together and we were really committed to each other, even in the most difficult times. And it wasn't really from us. It was just, the, it was the uh, God's love in our heart really bonded us. Uh, but, yeah, it was challenging coming to big churches that everyone just comes and goes. Some, Not everyone, sorry. Some people comes and goes and they really um, less sense of their intimacy and relationship sometimes. That it is more challenging to find your own community, your family, and see yourself as a something that look we are fighting with each other for our faith. Because it doesn't matter you are in uh, close countries under persecution or in free um, 
countries, still we have our battle as a Christians. Because I, in Iran, I was in battle physically with the physical enemies. But here I'm in a battle with lots of invisible enemies. That especially, I mean, sometimes it's harder, you know, because always like the enemy gives all his um, kind of ideas and uh, the, the, how can I say, in this battle, it presents you with beautiful wrapped you know, gifts to you, the, the, the lies that the culture wants to give us. Sometimes we're easily being deceived by that, you know. And uh, it's very, for example, it's just one of the biggest lies of um, the enemy is I'm a Christian to be a nice person, to be a better person, to be a good person. But it's not really about that. It's, it's about being saved. It's about going to a journey with Jesus and to be ready to accept his invitation, which is the kingdom of God, and also being challenged uh, uh, in the same level that you have to lay down your life for. Uh, and sometimes you are nice to people and sometimes you might be strange and you might challenge people. Uh, but yeah, it's difficult sometimes to express your faith because you might end up to you feel you have this fear to offend people. And sometimes fear of men can overcome you and you just be silent and not saying anything. Uh, but uh, as I experienced, God works in such an unexpected way and use uh, unexpected people and you never can imagine, was expect that uh, what people what reaction people would have if you express your faith in their lonely times or in a few years. Uh, but if you focus that what God really has for people and he's bigger than us, he's bigger than anyone else and he wants to save people's lives, then I think we would more courageous to share the gospel. And yeah, so sorry, I, I'm just going <laughs> talking, yeah. Yeah. there are more stuff yeah I'm but sure there's a whole load more unfortunately time doesn't allow us to hear more of that mr um uh, mr Bar. but uh, thank you so much that is amazing thank isn't it should we just applaud mr Bar first of all <laughs> so sam just as we close any last thoughts I mean, our, our role as Open Doors really is, is to serve and facilitate the connecting of the local church, both here in the UK and the local church, in the context of persecution. And that's both, there's a biblical mandate, but also, as you've heard from much, I'm sure your hearts have been stirred, and again, with a fresh revelation of Jesus that, you know, almost invites our rule. And, uh, and Paul writes to the Philippian church that how they have been emboldened in the gospel because of his persecution. And I know certainly in my own experience, actually meeting people like Mujtaba, uh, friends from North Korea, it, it, there's something of persecution that refines your reality and provokes you to live in a different way. So I think there's a jealousy on our part as a ministry for the UK church as well to create that connection so that we are refined and kind of revitalized in our faith and vision of Jesus, but also that the church around the world need us to stand with them in prayer and solidarity. So yeah, many of you here may already be connected with Open Doors, but if you're not and you'd like to connect regularly just to have... A, 
your awareness raise stories that both inform and inspire for you to pray and prayer updates that should be have one of these on your seat or QR code online and um, please do fill that out if you'd like to connect and pop it in the box over there if you're here or online and we will resource you in order to pray um, and to engage with the most persecuted so yeah thank you for having us this morning it's a, it's a real joy thank you both so much for coming